Look how fancy this all is. Very. My friend James. Very. Very. What have we done here? Have we just become multi-rich millionaires for some weird reason? Not yeah. realised. Yeah, I'm, I'm... There are ten figures in my bank account. Can you hear me okay? Can you hear me? I can hear you can beautifully. You hear you right, hear if I get too close, you can hear me too much. Hear I can... Mez? Yeah. Any everyone can hear you all around the world. That's all that's all I need. We're internationally famous. That's all I need. And um yes, we are here in an undisclosed location. Um I we'll, have we'll never tell you. No, never is. never. No. Ne- never. No. I have a uh, a rather posh new Bosch GT one. I like that. Now for those of you who don't know, this is this is uh the multi effects pedal I use on weddings in our band Switch. And Silver Soul, and respectively. Silver Soul. They're the same thing. It pretty much. Um, and mine, I thought, died, but maybe didn't. So I got this one. It looks way better. We, nice. might, we might even put like a little before and after photo. That'd be cool. <laughs> for those who care. For all the one person who cares. Well, for all the one person who cares on video. And if you do care about video, look at this fancy video setup that hopefully has worked. Because again, we're, I don't know what the future thing's going to hold, but we've got like three cameras going, right? We've got the world wide lad. Merritt's got one on him. I got one on me. It looks all professional, right? What can you say? So hopefully this works. Hopefully it looks good. And then, we, you know, yeah. for the people who watch on the YouTubes, <laughs> they can actually see these things. If you're on Spotify, I still love you. I still love you all, but, you know. You know, sub- subscribe and spend money on us. Spend all the money on us. Buy so, all uh, of our merch. Exactly. Um, but at Mez, where the hell have we been for ages? Uh, this is like a grand mate, triumphant comeback, mate, right? We have, we, we've been here, the, the, like, like the Beatles song, mate. We have been... To Penny Lane. <laughs> now we that, is, that is the one place we didn't go. That is the one place we didn't go. We've uh, we've been here, there, and everywhere. Like we that. have we have searched the highways and byways of this great nation. Um, and yeah, it's been a crazy couple of months to be honest. I'm a bit tired of living through historical events. Yeah. But I am enjoying the fact that we're busy. Well, not right now. Now it's, it's the start. It's sort of now it's the start. We kind of sink in, yeah. Sinkering in, um, but it'll, you know, we still got some shows coming up. I'm looking forward to them. It should yep. be entertaining. But I am, yeah, nice break. I've been in Manchester for a week. Lovely we've, stuff. Uh, we've had our good chum Ian stand in for me. I I need the best musicians to step in for my. I'm my surprised. I'm surprised that. We only had one guitar player to replace you because you're so good. It's like five, I mean, you need mate. five guitar players. It's like it's like uh, Fleetwood Mac when Lindsey Buckingham left. Mm-hmm. They they needed two to replicate. What it, exactly, it's exactly like yeah. that. In fact, he applied to me and switched, did he not? And we said sorry, mate. But I was like, I ain't gonna take your emotional baggage, mate. You got all these ex girlfriends and stuff. Come on, mate. You know what I mean? Get off of it. Plus, he's too much gear. Too, oh, just too much gear. Just bring a Boss GT1 That's little pedal. You know what I'm saying? That's what I'm saying it does the job. It does the job. And um, but yeah, so not sponsored by the way. Not I mean, sponsored. I, would love to be, but you know. Would you if you got sponsored by Boss? Yeah. Would you just be like, I don't want to have a katana. I don't want any pedals. I just want just send me 52 Boss GT1s, and you yeah. just have a stack of them yeah. in your room, yeah. and you just play it. Oh, I'm done with this one. Yeah. Chuck it yeah. and lob it. I would have a Boss GT1 for every different patch <laughs> the so rig like a default patch to begin with and then it'd be like oh i want a classic rock sound so i have to click go to the one. other one or i want a chorusy sound so i have to go to the end of the room to click it on i'd be down with that that'd be cool that'd be really good um, but yes and so we've been very busy with many many things weddings side projects drinking alcoholism 
Or non-alcoholism, really. Or, or Quite the opposite. I've my my new hyperfixation has been sparkling water. Yeah, I am still on the hyper sparkling water. It's so good. I get San Pellegrino bottles. I mean, it, it cost me a couple of quid just for one bottle. A couple of quid. <laughs> but I said to my friend Rob, who's a bass player and about, and he's my cousin, but you know, a cousin's a chaos. If I was you know, say, you know. He, he definitely is a family member as well. That's a good friend. Exactly. I said to him, because we stopped off at a co-op, right? Other shops are available. Of course they are. Always, and, always. Um, because we lived our, again, we were deep in wedding season, playing all these gigs week after week. You know, sometimes it was like five gigs in a row, up to four or five gigs in a row, which is gnarly. So you haven't got time to do stuff. You no. know, your life kind of gets uh, put on hold. So um, a lot of stuff at the services is really expensive because you just have, like, you've got nowhere else to go. No, exactly. So you do this yeah, on a whim. Absolutely. So we stopped at a co-op on the gig that you went on on the Saturday. Mm. And the sparkling water, 500 million bottle, 70p. And I bought three of them. And yeah. I was like, you know what? So I actually got a new philosophy on <laughs> life that, in terms of savings. Is that one of them? It's not one of them. I will show it for everyone. This is a Highland show, Spring show, yeah. sparkling 1.5 litre. Show it for the big camera like that. You know what I mean? Because we can do it multi-camera these days. This is badass. And more I'm going to have a little... Than... More angles just to see this. I'm going to have a little spot. And this, a green tint bottle. Green, green tint bottle. More angles than Kurt we've got these days. Exactly. I like that. Yeah. I more like angles that. than Kurt. Olympic champion. Da, so uh, da, da, da. my philosophy is now... All your life, right? Spend, just spend money at services, shopping, do everything you can in services, right? Because then what you'll do is you'll go, right, I need a better paid job. You'll work harder, better yeah. income. Yeah. And then eventually when you hit, let's say 65 years old, so you're still in your prime, then go shop at supermarkets. Everything's cheap. Bang. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, very true. You could do that. You absolutely could do that. And I mean, it's, um, I, uh, no pun intended, but I'm going to let this one slide. It's okay. a welcome break when nice. you, uh, you stop at somewhere other than the services and you go, Oh, look, I don't have to remortgage my house for a sandwich. <laughs> yep. Um, it does get, it does get beyond the pale. And to be honest with you, the most irritating thing I find about services these days is there's just, you, you can't get hot food after a certain time, unless you go to a specific one. Now we're, we are well versed in this. Now we do have our favorites our favorite roadside services we yep. do have things like wasanthang which is actually services in welsh we've recently learned and we've thought that that was actually just the name of a service station but then we kept seeing the name wasanthal yes. if that's what it is pronounced yes. which i don't think it is but um, well, yeah all like the way that. down so but it was quite funny because we were like we, whenever we go to wales we cross cross the old prince of wales bridge oh yeah and we get over there and we go okay we're what where do we want to stop? And we'd always say, oh, let's stop at Guasantho Services. But what we didn't actually realize was all we're saying there is let's stop at services, services. Services. And then in the services, we're like, oh, Guasantho, Guasantho's really good, Guasantho. Yeah. We're sound like idiots. Well, it is what it is. I mean, I've I, I've been led to believe that most of the Welsh population can't actually speak Welsh. Interesting topic. They've changed a lot of road signs. I mean, I, I have a, a good chum, Kerith Evans. He's a good lad. Good lad. Okay. Is he the bass player in Elusis that have their upcoming EP, EP playthrough show in three, uh, days, in three days' time? That Correct. Probably when this comes out, it'll probably have been and gone. So yeah, it will be absolutely. a smash success. So, so yeah, it'll be great. millions are coming over. Exactly. But um, no, he, he, he's good with um, translating some, some words. I think he said his dad can speak Welsh. Yeah. And... But other than that, I mean, I've got another friend who is um, also from Wales, which nice. is good when you're talking about Wales as a subject. You really want someone from the country to actually discuss. It does help. Yeah. Just a slight one. Um, but yeah. So <laughs> Sorry, that was funny. That was funny. Uh, for anyone who didn't see that, Merritt's laptop is uh, obviously the webcam is on his laptop and he's got like an a, a app to run it. 
and he's got everything set up and it just came up with you maybe having performance issues so well i mean do you need to go get your stuff checked out is that what i was trying to say maybe to you? maybe yeah. it, could, it could be foreboding but it's still on it's still working so nice. um yeah so um yeah the welsh language is not widely spoken from what i understand but i could be wrong however yes um says Gwisante, across the bridge there is hardwick services hardwick, yeah. which is near gloucester 24-hour mcdonald's you're sorted there is a rare find a rare find there is spark food which i call spark plug and it saved us one night we went to a 24-hour mackey's it was not 24-hour i was disgraced yeah at that moment i was disgusted yeah with the world i'd had enough i'd had enough we were so tired and it was that thing where especially when you're driving back from a gig that that you don't really want to waste the time no. trying to get back it's no. like economy of driving so we were like we're going to take a risk here so live out of the way yeah and i was just like if this is not open i'm unaliving myself yeah. right now I'm, yeah. I'm exiting this world Murder completely gonna happen. and it said it was it said it was open yeah. you walked th- you walked all through the, the drive room all the way around there was a woman there and she was cleaning out some fryers and i literally walked up and like knocked on the window and she carried on in fact we'll we'll cut to our other she was literally okay. like, yeah and i'm there <laughs> she's not she's not picking up so that annoyed me yeah we tried we tried the mcdonald's app that didn't work we ordered on the app didn't we yeah we did but it, no no money was taken from my account Damn but it. we yeah very frustrating so anyway we went to spark plug Oh my good lord! When we when we went through the drive-through and he was like, "McDonald's, take your order, please." We we're just like, "I, I love you." I could have cried. Yeah, I love you, unbranded, unnamed man. Yeah. All right. I could have cried. I was going to kiss him on the lips. I thought you did. I did. There we go. That's um, the that's yeah. what we've been up to. Yeah. Kissing McDonald's workers. Yeah, that's um, what we do now. But yeah, I mean, it's been crazy. We've been trying to fit stuff in. Oh, um, we keep we always keep talking about the podcast. We're like. We want to do this one. Let's do this yeah, one. Let's, let's do this one. This, and then, like, literally, yeah, life yeah. got in the way, and it's been tough. Um, <laughs> but you know, I've been keeping up with the wiki song stuff. Wiki songs. There you go. That's been pretty funny to edit all of that. And again, and I thought, yeah, let me just try. Let's go to a studio and just see if we can get back into it. See if we can do do this do this old thing. So it'll again. be cool. But you know, know what? Go on, man. Go on. That's all right, kid. I was just gonna say. I know people are waiting, and well, person. Per, a, one person is one waiting person. i like this someone, i've got one person someone commented in fact i'm going to give you a shout out right now martin's going to take the helm while i find it okay i'll take the helm so uh what do you want to talk about guys um just really cool things you know what we'll talk about we want to start a new segment just at the start of like you know just a little bit of music news kind of like a like, you know generic podcast music podcast where you just go what's happened in the world of rock what's happened in the world of music and stuff so we will talk about Blink yes. 182 reuniting and the whole Ticketmaster thing in a minute, but Mez Big. is ready. Yes, Mez, give me the goods. So, Sam Pierce, thank you for your uh, kind comments on the artwork of Elusis is 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 upcoming EP. Before um, the devil knows you're dead. Before the devil knows you're dead, which will be out presently. He said he loves the artwork, and I am patiently awaiting the next episode of 50 Ways. Well, you got yourself a shout out as well, kid. If we were sponsored, I'd give you a free t-shirt, but we're not. So keep up the support. Let me know what you think of this one. Anyway, buy, buy a t-shirt. Buy a t-shirt. That's the support that I want to see. You know and a key ring. And a key ring. And a, and big a co- coaster. Coaster. Big picture of me. As well. About a chef's apron, because that can be made. We should do that. About a chopping board. We Again. Do you think people 
personalized knives. I like what we could do. Yeah. What we could do is okay. we could have the have the knife. Yeah. Or knife rather. <laughs> um, and you could on the handle we can have like a little plastic molded head of like <laughs> and you could cook cook with fifty ways. Fifty ways cookbook. We are missing out here. Fifty ways. And cookbook. even better, right? You can have a thermometer that you stick in a meat. And it's your head, and it turns orange yep. when it's at yep. boiling point. Yeah, fantastic. And my my bubble hat turns blue. That's excellent. We we need to get on this. There is an entirely untapped market. I'm saying, fuck the podcast off. Yep. Let's just go into cookware. All right, that's uh, that's been fifty ways. Hope you enjoyed See it. See you later. It's um, worth the wait. Uh, we hate <laughs> you all, really. Anyway, music news. Let's do yeah, a quick music, music news. news. So music news. everyone knows, I say everyone knows, but if you don't know, you do know now, Blink-182 nice. have reunited with Tom DeLonge and I'm loving it, to be honest with you. Absolutely love myself some Blink. You know, shout outs to Alex Hopkinson and Robbie Kessel, you know. Big names. Big names in the game. Big and names. they know that Blink created music and words and lyrics and melody and chords. Like no one had done music. Well, no one had even known what music was. Nope. And then they popped up and was like, this is what it is. Yep. So, you know, I, I, I reconnected with them too and, and gave them a couple messages back and forth. And it's like, oh my God, they're back. I'm going to get tickets. Unbelievable. You know, the gods of music have come back and gone, look, I don't know what this is, what everyone else has done for the past like seven years who, that I've been away or whatever. Who cares? I'm doing this. So, obviously, it was like new single, which is called Edging, new tour, everything announced. So, how, how is um, the new single? Martin I, I quite like it. It's short, it's punchy. Um, it's a good throwback. It's the chorus is catchier every time you hear it. It's like a good return to form, but I know that there's going to be something better. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like they haven't just released all of their good stuff straight away, the good single right away. Absolutely, mate. Absolutely. And that's, uh, that's kind of what you, that's what you want. You want to be teased. I really want to go see him on tour. So I was like, okay, I'll look at my O2 app because you get pre sale uh, availability. I go on there, I'm like, right, 10 a.m. Wednesday. I get up at 10 a.m. Well, I get up, right? 10 a.m. I click on it and I go, right, click for tickets. Already, I'm 5,600 in the queue. Oh, no. Does, to its credit, go down fairly quickly. I reckon it took six minutes to go down. And I'm like, right, I'm just going to pick a seat, pick whatever. So I, I went VIP. So I went to go see Chili Peppers in June, I think. And Six minutes after being in the air, because I went from Bristol to yeah, Glasgow, it got cancelled. So that sucks. Still waiting for that, but you know what it is. So um, I went VIP for that one. I was going to go. So VIP for, for Blink-182. £180, right? Which I'm like, for VIP, I'm fine to dish that out. What is included in the VIP package, Mark? You get a little laminate. You get a little seat. And... I actually can't remember on the Blink one, but with the Chili's one, you get a, you get a, so the Chili's one. It's like a dedicated O2 section. I think you get your own bar yeah, and own toilets yeah, and stuff like that. Right. Yeah, though no, I am. Um, which I was like, I'm keen for that. Yeah, I've not I've not been a part of the VIP experience of the O2. I, I know someone who has. He went to go and see um, Iron Maiden. Small little band. Small little niche band. Yeah. Lo-fi. You wouldn't have heard of it. Um, and he um. He had his own private bar. He had his own private viewing platform. And he didn't get it, but because he, he got in because he knew somebody or somebody, I don't know. Um, but normally the VIP experience would be like a very, very quick, like mm-hmm. meet and greet, very quick. Um, 
but yeah so i i've never been a part of the vip experience but it does sound very cool um but yeah no that's it's expensive but i kind of guess it's worth it to you know some of the things you're going to get and on top of that the fact that you'll be like i'm going to go and see blink this is my thought. So they're a big band. Yeah. So I'd want to go see them Aren't for they? VIP. They were quite niche. Well, they're they're big in terms of the niche, you know, little niche market. Low, in, they are. in the lo-fi yeah, underground yeah, community. Just, uh, yeah. Um, so like for big bands like that, I'll go see VIP. I might do it with Paramore because their tickets are coming out, I think, in two days. Yes. I've done the pre-sale. I've got the album bundle, whatnot. That'd be fun. So um, what's happened is, I don't know where, whether it was on the O2 one as well, but the tickets have skyrocketed up and they're like, yeah. some of them are like two grand, four grand, eight grand, because it's all due with, the, with this dynamic pricing. Because Ticketmaster is saying dynamic pricing is meant to stop scalpers. They're saying that that's how we're trying to get people to stop doing that. But what happens is people buy them up and then they try and sell them on this. Like, well, you're going to go or you're going to not go. It's a high demand price. So then what happens yeah. is, is that middle kind of pit just doesn't, it's just people with their phones up and this has happened for a while. Yep. Um, obviously now other bands, it's happened around the same time as other bands, but like Pearl Jam, very famously, I think it was 1994, they were doing Vitology, which I think is their third record. Um, they literally fought Ticketmaster, they took them to court. Yeah. And what's funny is, because Stone Gossard and Jeff Amit are the guitar player and bass player, they're talking in court and they're like saying like, you know, we think, you know, we don't, we knew what it was like to be a fan poor growing up. Mm. And I think the ticket price they say is something like $30, which is mad. You think now when it's four up the four grand for a ticket or something yeah. like that, yeah, yeah. you think I'd love, I'd love to pay $30 for a ticket. What are you on about? Um, so what they kind of did is they started putting on their own concerts away from Ticketmaster venues. I think they were like financing it themselves and stuff. But then what happened was is people were then doing fake tickets for those gigs. Yeah. And then there was these weird things and they ultimately yeah. lost because this guy was like, well, when you become a band and then when you become signed and basically all these things and you become, you basically become a product. Yes. So it is art, but your art becomes a product to then sell. And Absolutely. I don't know what this solution is. Finn McKenty, um, who's the punk rock NBA guy, has a really good like ethos on it. And if I could remember it, it'd be good. But what he, <laughs> what he said makes sense. But I don't know whether... He's basically saying, because the artist does have a say. So he's saying that Blink, whether the artists themselves or whoever represent them, does have a say in dynamic pricing. He's saying they don't need that money. They're millionaires. They're pretty well set. Why don't they just reduce it all down? But then again, venues, you know what it's like dealing with venue managers. We know, we keep them unnamed, but you know that it's like, if you have an intention, like you were trying to get one person in to take photos or, or do something like that, and you know sometimes that can be hard to navigate around it. Of course, and I mean everybody's got their own motivations, and especially with a with a show on that level, a lot of people have got to be paid. A lot of people have got a to lot of paid. crew, and obviously, yeah, they are they are millionaires, absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I'm not disputing that. Um, but I think even at that level, I'd I'd still want to get paid for my work. Yeah, why not? If you've done it you for, I mean? I mean, they've been they've been banned since 1994, I believe. So it's like. Yeah, you're 28 years in. Of course, you want to get paid. Of course, this you want is to do what I mean. Stuff. So it's it's kind of a difficult, um, it's a difficult one. But I, I mm, <clears throat> four grand for a ticket. I mean, someone's going to pay that. Maybe there's a thing of it's like when Radiohead released In Rainbows, and they were like, right, pay as you, pay whatever you like, pay as you like. I mean, so yeah. you can literally buy. You could do it for like 20p, I mean, or you could go way up. 
But yeah. so that it could be in between pay as you like, pay what you want and dynamic pricing. What's the thing in the middle? Because the only problem there is that then helps with everybody in terms of life, their financial status and demographic that if you're a bit poor and don't have a lot of money, but you want to go see your favorite band, you can just pay a couple of quid. Yeah, that's all right. But I, yeah, you're obviously then cutting into the earnings of the tour and then how that structure infrastructure is paid. And then the venues got to at least make enough money to, to like, even just to pay the bills and stuff. But then again, let's say, again, if everyone paid a quid for a ticket and 50,000 people are there and you've made 50 grand on the door, bear in mind, I'm speaking for a very naive point that I don't know how concert <laughs> arena, uh, how much the overheads are, but I don't think 50 grand necessarily will cut it. Still a lot of money just for one quid. That is, and I mean, that's where you can start looking into like, how about we charge 20 quid, 50,000 people. But then it's like, who's getting a slice of that nice little ticket pie? Because it's band, venue, well, this also is what, I mean, merch this is sales. Like... This is how you've kind of got to look at it, because there, there is paying for everybody's time, and there is uh, covering costs, but there is also profiteering. Mm-hmm. Paul McCartney's final ever tour. I think... A, it's going to be impossible to get tickets. Yeah, Think of be. all the celebrities are going to want to go. It will be. It will be unbelievable. That'll be that'll be like tens of grand. It'd be a lot of money. And you think about inflation and stuff. I mean, I don't know how many more years the guy's going to tour. You tell me. But, hey, this is what I mean. I reckon yeah, definitely yeah. the next decade. I think <laughs> I might get that. I, th- I think probably. But, um, no, you're right. Yeah. You're absolutely right. And it is difficult to sort of um, sort of equate it. But that's true. Yeah. Only time Mental. will tell, eh? Mental. You know. But, um, Any other news from you, Mez? Yes. In the world of millionaires. Oh yeah. Who are not happy about something. Oh yeah. Give me a give me a skimry. Let's right, let's okay. let's get through it. Let's get on it. Let's do it. Clearly, there's something about Anaheim and Iron Maiden that don't mix. The band show on September the 22nd saw a fan get on stage for way too long before getting tossed off. By vocalist Bruce Dickinson. And now footage has surfaced of Dickinson taking some fans to task for smoking weed in the front row the night before. During a break between songs, Dickinson gave fans a stern talking to about their smoking habits, saying it's affecting both him and bassist Steve Harris. I don't know what it is, said Dickinson. There's so many fucking people smoking so much fucking dope down here. I'm amazed you can even see. Poor old Steve. I don't know if you know, but he absolutely fucking hates marijuana and the smell of it, all right? So when he's trying to play bass, it fucks him up. It fucks me up. I'm a singer, all right? So, duh. I would just ask for a tiny bit of respect. If you want if you want to go get completely stoned out of your fucking mind, go to the back and do it, all right? Otherwise, you're going to end up like this fucking knucklehead here going, oh. Do you know what that reminds me of? Go on. That's like if I've parked in an Audi car park and it's a quite a tight space because the guy to the right of me is parked really awkwardly. So I've kind of got in there and I need yeah. to go in there. And like I'm in I've been in the white lines. But then I get out and then he's coming back with his shopping. Yeah. Um and he's getting all out and he's telling me about yeah. the youth of this and all that stuff. And that's disrespectful. My kids ain't gonna eat tonight. My wife's gotta do this. I'm just there like it's just so white noise that you're feeding into that and it's like you might as well just say nothing. What I love, there's a few things I love about this story in particular. Number one, at the bottom of the article, it's like, it it says all this stuff that he has a go at him and then it's like, 
Iron Maiden's tour continues for these days. <laughs> We've talked about this before. Yes, we have. Punk rock's rubbish. Yes, we have. I'm doing a book signing every year. Yeah, literally. So it's it's like um, it's just drama for the sake of publicity, isn't it? Really, it is. Well, that's the new thing. That's the new thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you say it's the new thing. It's been a thing for a long time, but obviously dinosaurs like Iron Maiden are only just catching on. Yeah. They're probably going to start going, oh, I downloaded that Facebook the other day. That's quite a new and trendy thing, isn't it? Bruce Dickinson will be doing uh, Facebook Lives all this week. <laughs> so, yeah, and I mean, the, fu- the other thing I love about this story is there, when they... I think it was in Rio in Brazil or something. Yeah. There's an old photo of Bruce Dickinson with really long hair with a t-shirt that says legalize hemp now. <laughs> so it's just well, like, he didn't say he didn't like weed. He just said Steve Harris didn't like the, the smell well, of Well, he said it fucks him up as well as a singer. But yeah. I mean, I kind of get that is a bit of a thing, isn't it? It does. Yeah, it does. Again, I, I get his point, but it just comes across as like old man yells at cloud. Yeah, absolutely. You know absolutely. I mean? But also, Sorry, Bruce, this doesn't um, uh, like, uh, I'm not we still like you. Mate. We still like you. I've got tickets to see Iron Maiden next year and there you go. I'm still going. How much do you pay? How going. much do you pay for that? Uh I can't actually remember. Actually, I don't, no no. My my mum's partner's bought them. And he hasn't told me how much it is because this is a little game. Cheeky little lad. It's a little game we play. You see, I go, tell me how much are you rich? And he goes, hey, no worries. And that's the last thing he ever says about it. So I have to prompt him to be like, what do I owe you? And then he'll be like, no, nothing. And I'm like, you've got to do the thing now, like at Christmas when you're like, I know my presents are upstairs in the cupboard or in the chest of drawers. You need to go sneaking around. And then you find something that you don't want to find, or you find the you find the present, and you have to act like you don't know what it is on Christmas yeah. Day. Yeah, I did that many times. Sorry, mum. Either, either either that, or I'm just going to start sending him money and just be like, deal with it. Or rip them up in front of him, and he'll go, bloody hell, that was they were three hundred quid each, and you be like, got you, and transfer <laughs> it. What a, what a self. <laughs> now none of us are going. Good grief. Should we get in the episode then? Let's go, big man. Nice. This is episode 26. 26. 26. So we're still in the 20s. I still like that. Um, All in our 20s. 20s. Nice. And we're doing the reason why someone might hate an album is because it took so long to come out. Yeah. Isn't that... See what I did there, right? Because this took so long for this episode to come out, right? I've gone, you know what? Let's make I'll tie it, it in. Let's think about episodes, you know, albums that have taken ages to come out. Absolutely, my man. So for me, I really like seeing the journey of an artist's career. Like it's great. So the reason why I find it sometimes quite hard to get into new music is that it's still being written. I think of a band like The Doors. I got into them when I was probably about 14 years old. There was a skateboarder called Ryan Galant who had the song Touch Me on his part. And I was like, this is cool. And then got a greatest hits and then you can just go on Wikipedia and go, right, oh, look, this is the album that they kind of peaked on. This is the album that had the classics, but this is the album where they went down. And you have all of these, like, historical landmarks. I feel like I can't do that with new music. But it's, yeah. but it's bullshit because you can. You can. But you know what I mean? I, I know what you're saying. Interesting little um, side point. I discovered The Doors from Tony Hawk's Underground 2. Amazing. Because the intro music is break on through to the other side. It is. Rip on through. To the other side. That's very good. Yeah, that's where I discovered them. So I think that's what it is. It's like, because I know that it's already happened, I know at the end, I can go to the end and go, yeah. oh, okay, Jim yeah. Morrison passed away, all these things. Yeah, it's a safe thing. It's probably a very ADHD thing. I'm trying to get into a therapy session of it, but um, 
Yeah, and, I, know, I know what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I've got into stuff like, you know, like Foo Fighters. I remember waiting for Wasting Light. I remember waiting for Great, um, great Album. I remember waiting for, hang on, I just closed some it down. My fault. <laughs> um, and I remember when uh, Sonic Highways. Nice. Woo, that took ages. Well, I remember well, when Sonic, thank you there. very much. You got there. You got there. When Sonic Highways came out, I felt disappointed with that. So, like, that was kind of a downer, but you know, I've waited for albums. They've been really, really good. Turnover, good nature was really good to wait to come out. Apple or raspberry. So there's, there's a beginning, there's a middle, there's an end. I'm not left wondering what's going to happen. Like yeah, it's yeah. all there. I think it might stem from like, um, because I maybe view artists in the way of a film. I like, I love the backstory of stuff. That's why I'm a nerd. That's literally yeah. why we started this podcast. So maybe it stems from my music f- coming from skate videos. Um, so you get into an artist, you really like them. You're like, this is banging or stuff. And you get up to date with all this stuff. And you're like, oh, cool. They, they've done this tour. Like, oh, maybe they're going to have a new album coming out. So typically an album cycle is, what, 18 months for a typical major label thing like it used to be. So, you know, they'd release the album. You'd be like, that single's sick. Another single, get the album. And yeah. then you go see them on tour for hopefully a nice little price. All the interviews and whatever, and you go cool, and they go, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna start work on the next record very soon. <laughs> we're gonna go back to our roots and basic, but new and, and all that stuff. You're like, cool, so you wait. Yep. You're like, okay, nine months, <laughs> eighteen months. You know, two years. You're like, what's going on? Fifty-seven years, in some people's case, which is my uh, my pick, but um, I'm gonna wait till um, after Merritt's done his. That's a long, long time. So. You think, why the hell would an artist take so long to release another piece of work? Like, why do these, why do some bands get to do that? Like Tool, Metallica, like these are big label names. Even even younger younger artists do that as well. It's yeah. too broad of a question to really answer on. And again, people are people. Musicians are people. They have lives. Yeah. They don't want to constantly be like, I'm going to release an album, gig, tour, write and record, and then release an album and do that again. Oh, it's yes. so mad. There's, so there are so many examples. There is. And question for Mez, I love this. What's something in your life not related to music that you took ages to get done and finish? Uh, driving. Same here. Twenty-eight years it took me. Yep. Same. I say twenty-eight years. I wasn't learning. You were, you were learning when yeah. you were one. <laughs> no, it took it took. Um, so from October twenty twenty is when I started. Mm-hmm. And I passed what two weeks ago, three weeks ago. Not even that. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah. So obviously lockdowns and stuff, but you can't blame everything on that. I took my time booking my theory. I took my time booking my practical. Yeah. So driving, driving is one. Mine was probably this podcast. I had it for years in yeah. my brain as a book. Yeah. Couldn't figure out how to materialize it. Then suddenly it was like again, like lockdown kind of helped stuff for me because I get very one track minded. Mm. Which again, because we were doing wedding season and those are gigging it was hard for me to get in this podcast but yeah yeah i was like that's what it needs to be and then finally sat down and got it and sent you the logo and we kind of something like that so yeah like it's also weird to think of bands that are the opposite of that so the beach boys they released three albums a year (laughs) between 1963 and 1965 that's nine albums in two years which is almost in the entire beatles output they did in eight years and they did it in two. I'll never forget when um, <clears throat> I went and listened to um, Pet Sounds for the first time yeah. properly. And um, a I, biblical moment for anybody oh, as for well. Real. Isn't it? Go and listen to Pet Sounds. Um, I was scrolling through their Spotify and I was scrolling through 
and I was scrolling through and I was like, where, where is this album? <laughs> What's going on? And then it was getting, and then I finally found it. Like, I was just like, how, how many albums have the Beach Boys got? So many. It's ridiculous. Yep. It's, 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 it's but that was the recording contracts of those yeah. time because yeah. you release a single every three months. You had to make sure to make a Christmas album uh, and be hot on the hills. And yeah. no wonder that Brian Wilson went through all the stresses that he did, but nine albums in two years is, is immense. That's and the, unbelievable. The person that I have is uh, only has two. Yeah. It says it all really, doesn't it? There you go. Well, my we're one camera down now, James. <laughs> all right. So we've we've managed to get that. So we've still got the wide angle lens. That's all right. And we still got yours. So you know, this we're all trying. We're trying it new. It'll, it'll be okay. I've got my little zoom on here, and it looks like it's filmed on a not even a potato. It's like a <laughs> seed of a potato. So we're gonna go with that. Oh, be dear. fun. So I want Merritt's pick. Merritt, what did you pick for an album that took so long to come out? I picked Chinese Democracy by Guns N' Roses. What a big that that is like a big huge one. You know what I'm saying? Yep. That is the one that people talk it's about. It's the classic example for um for albums that took too long to come out. Yeah. And um yeah, the reason the reason why I picked this is because growing up as a young music fan, I, I loved Guns N' Roses. I still do. I still, still do. Love Fantastic. Appetite. Oh my god. <laughs> but yeah. Someone bought me this album. Uh, I think it was for, well, birthday or Christmas one year. And it took me a really long time to listen to it. Now, the, the, the reason being is because back in the day, I wasn't like I am now. Like, if, if I buy an album, I listen to it start to finish. Yeah. But back then, I only really wanted to listen to songs that I already knew. It was very much like that. It took me so long to get into so many artists because of that reason. Mm -hmm. And I had to force myself out of that cycle. I had to just really, really hone in and really just listen to as much as I could. Okay. And it was difficult. I don't, like I said, I don't understand why it took me so long to get into that habit, but it's so fruitful. It's yeah. so much nicer than just like, oh, skip that. Oh, skip that. Oh, skip that. And it, is that what you were like? Yeah, yeah, genuinely. Wow. For a long, long time. But I managed to get out of that, thankfully. Nice. I still have moments where I'm like, what do I want to listen to? No. Nah. But that's less. But, that, but that's with albums that you already know, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. And this album, before I listened to it, I remembered enjoying it, but only certain songs. Yes. <clears throat> um. So yeah, it was very interesting, very interesting to revisit it. How, how old were you when that came out? It was 2008, 2009? 2008, <clears throat> what's that? 210. That's 14 years ago. 14 years ago, I was 14. Wow. And what was your knowledge of Guns N' Roses up to this point? Appetite. So you knew in Appetite fact, 14, which is pretty cool. In fact, no, sorry, I say <sighs> Appetite. I knew Sweet Child of Mine, Welcome to the Jungle, November Rain. Yeah. Don't cry. Yep. Knocking on heaven's door. Classic. Um, live and let die, which is obviously a wings cover. Um, is that everything I knew? So, so you only know like songs. You didn't have I the Appetite knew, yeah, album. Yeah, yeah. No. And again, you were I far you were future. far removed from like the hype and stuff yep. and whatnot. Again, I knew Appetite. I knew Use Your Illusion one and two by that point. Um, I knew the greatest hits. I knew 
especially at that time as well, that um, Guns N' Roses were not like a relevant name. It was the yeah. Axl Rose show. Yep. They've fallen out of favor. They're oh. not like they are now. Oh, there is where so It's much. like everyone's been reunited again, yeah. and it's like they're a big brand now. So I have my notes up. I'm ready. Can you still hear me if I do this? Oh, I can still hear wonderful, you, kid. Wonderful. Okay, so <clears throat> Chinese Democracy is the sixth studio album. Sixth. The nice. sixth studio album released on November the 23rd, 2008. Black, Fro- Black Frog and Geffen Records. Nice. So it's the first studio album since their covers album, The Spaghetti Incident, which I haven't listened to yet, but it's on my list. It is good. There are a couple of good songs. Yes. Um, was there a mo- Oh, there was a. That's meant to be a reference to a Motley Crue infamous incident yes. which i won't get into but it involves some vomit yes and women of the night and yes. a man um and not so also their first studio album of original material since use your illusion 2 which i believe came out in 1991 yes use your illusion 1 and 2 because they two. came out at the same time didn't they Woo-wee. momentous and ambitious task. very ambitious um so it was the first album without their longtime producer a guy called mike clink, clink. yeah and it was produced by singer Axel Rose and Karam Constanzo. I think I've pronounced that correctly. You've done it way better than I would have done it. Thank you very much. Yep. So this is nuts. This is absolutely nuts. Like, we're going to be here for the long haul, mate, because I have to get into every aspect of this. How long? So what was the gap between this forget incident and that? Was it like 14 years? 13, 14 years? Yes, 15, <laughs> 15 years. I like the little suspense there. You're like, yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it's 15 years. Nice. Um, which isn't really that long in the scheme of things, but when people are waiting, it kind of is. So it's a little over an hour long. It's 71 minutes long. The genres listed are hard rock, industrial rock, electronic rock, and new metal, which I'd heartfully agree with. I fully agree with it. Yep. The recording was from 1998 to 2007. Absolutely mad. Imagine recording something for that long. It's nine, like nine years of just like... What's weird is it's like, it's like the bricolage of it, which is a fancy name for like all the things chronologically. That's a good like, word. I like that. Like there might be a vocal from Axl Rose from 1998 and then a guitar part from 2005. Strange. It just seems really weird. So let's dive in because there's a lot of content here and it all needs to be discussed. Let's get it out. So, as we all know, from 94 to 97, Gilby Clark and Slash, Matt Sorum, drummer, and Duff McKagan, they all left. Nice. Leaving Axel Rose and Dizzy Reed, keyboardist. Which, you know, oh, and uh, guitarist Paul Tobias as well. Yeah. In 97, they began work with guitarist Robin Flink, drummer John Fries. In 98... I think that's Josh Freese. Just a little bit of a... Yeah, he's, Josh done, he's done me there. It is Josh Freese. I've done him right there, and I can't even see the your, your laptop. So. <laughs> and in, I'm going to move it a bit closer to me. <laughs> in 98, uh, a bassist, Tommy Stinson, yeah. and a multi-instrumentalist, Ooh. Chris Pittman. Nice. The lineup changed several times, incorporating guitarists Buckethead, Richard Fortas, and Ron Bumblefoot towel now those are some huge names huge names those are some incredible musicians 
We then have drummers Brian and Frank Ferrer. Guitarist Brian May. Brian May was in Guns N' Roses. Brian May, vocalist Sebastian wait, Bach. Wait, as in he joined? We'll we'll get to it, Mark. Okay. <laughs> we'll okay. get to it. Orchestrators Marco Beltrami yep. and Paul Buckmaster. Engineer Eric, I want to say Caudio. Caudio, like I don't know. Caudio, something Claudio. like that. And producers including Sean Bevan, Roy Thomas Baker... Karam Constanzo worked on the album across 14 studios. You know, this sounds like it's very expensive and costs a lot of money and... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, we'll get to it. They recorded dozens of songs and suggested they could release them across multiple albums. I mean, yeah. So, now, as Wikipedia describes it, it languished in development hell for eight years. I would agree with that. Fully agree with Firmly that. Firmly agree with that. Geffen wanted to release it in 99. Yeah. But it was delayed and largely re-recorded in 2000. With costs reportedly exceeding $13 million. That's a million for every year that didn't come out. Yeah. It became the most expensive rock album ever produced. And Geffen pulled their funding in 2004. They pulled their funding five years after they wanted it to come out. Now, with all due respect uh, to label executives and people who work in the industry, at what point do you go, this ain't coming out, is it? <laughs> Maybe not five years after you set the release It's mad. Day. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. Axel, you got that album ready, yeah? <laughs> I'm coming, Mum. <laughs> Literally. Just got to finish another level of Sonic. After missing the release date of March 2007, it was released in November 2008, and there were leaks, legal disputes. Oh, mate, this is just, this is the tip of the... And earth. again, we'll dip into the history of it. So you've got Napster around this point, Metallica, yep. Lars Ulrich being the most hated person in the world. Yep. He was right at that point being like, yes. this will kill the music industry. Yeah, People were still does. buying CDs. They were still touring at this point. Um, Slash and Axel just basically hated each other. Um, I think Velvet Revolver was around 2001, 2002. Yeah, I believe so. So you got that super group going on, which kicked off. And again, in terms of like new metal coming in and taking over what rock was and Limp Bizkit yep. and hard rock and industrial rock, Nine Inch Nails, all these things. That's all kicking off yep. while this is going on. And they're basically just retreating, trying to make this album, aren't they? Essentially, yeah, and I mean... I say they are. Axl Rose is retreating <laughs> and making this album. Oh, man. Because he owns the name. It's it. This is a crazy thing, isn't it? Um, and yet, all of these things, it's still debuted at number three mm-hmm. on the Billboard 200. Certified Platinum yeah. did not meet sales expectations in the US. Received divisive but generally favorable reviews. Mm-hmm. It had chart success elsewhere, sold over 1 million copies in Europe. <clears throat> like, nothing to shake at, but really? no. this is Guns N' Roses we're talking about. This Appetite I mean. for Destruction. Yes. And I was thinking this on the drive up. I was like, like, just the way Axel is or the way that band is and operates in people's consciousness. Like, they're in that we've sold a lot of millions of yeah. copies of yeah, this, yeah, yeah. of our debut album. Your first album. And you've yeah, literally hit you've, out of the gate. You've literally, and it's yeah. insane amounts. You're just in a different league. 
It's like you're in the VIP VIPs lounge. This is what I mean. And it's when you're at that level, <clears throat> there already is a level of where do I go now? What can I do now? Literally, on your first time at the where, game. Where am I? What, where is inspiration coming from now? Mm -hmm. Because my debut album has absolutely smashed it out the park. It's done, in fact, it's smashed it out the park. The other albums already smashed it out of the park. It's yep. on that extra distance. You've had to get city planning to build an extra park. Yep. Not just not to not to add on to your existing park, which no. you've already smashed. Yep. You've gone, I've smashed it so much. Just, I'm gonna I'm gonna personally get my own money to build a new park, smash that one as well. Yep. Let me know about the third park. So they began writing and recording new music in '94. Duff McKagan, the bassist, said they were so stoned at that point, nothing got finished. <laughs> Slash accused the singer of running the band like a dictatorship. Mm, Which yes. I mean, you could you could definitely probably see that, and I mean. There is, we've discussed this as well, there is some sort of level where it's like, who's in charge? No one's in charge. Nothing's getting done. Should someone take charge? Oh, maybe, but obviously yep. you go through that whole... I want this chord that way. Okay, if you do the song then. Yeah, exactly. This yep. is kind of the thing. So Axel Rose said the material was scrapped because the band was unable to collaborate. Yeah. Kind of makes sense. Uh, Gilby Clark was replaced by... Um, Paul Tobias, and around the time, Axel Rose had become obsessed with electronica and industrial rock, particularly the works of Nine Inch Nails. Yes, I would. I have a huge blind spot with Nine Inch Nails. So but I. I would very much hazard to guess that when you listen to Chinese Democracy, you go, "Is this a Nine Inch Nails record?" There, there is a lot of correlation. Yeah, with genre. That's what I would think. Um, so yeah, he became he became obsessed with that. He wanted Guns N' Roses to move to that contemporary point. He wanted to start making music more like that. Yeah. Which you can kind of get. You want to move, you want to evolve your sound, you want to change. Other members did not agree. <laughs> uh, slash left in 96. Um, following creative differences with Axel and a personal problem with Paul Tobias. Do you know what I think was the straw that broke the camel's back for Slash? From what I can remember from his book. Oh, I've read this. Go on. So they did a cover. They did a Greatest Hits album, which had Sympathy for the Devil on it. That's right. Rolling Stones. Yeah. And I want to say that uh, Axl Rose used, I don't know if it was this guy, but he used a guitar player who wasn't that good or didn't sound very good. And Slash was like, I think Slash recorded guitar parts as well. Yes. What Axl did was didn't use Slash's guitar parts, That's used right. this other guy's part. That's right. And it was still went out as Guns N' Roses, and he's a bit like, this is awful, I'm gone. I think that... And he had no yeah. say, because Axel, seeing that his band was f flailing and just being like, they're all just drug-addicted, yeah, like idiots or whatever, rock stars, it was like, I'm going to... Like Sharon did with Ozzy, Osborne and Black Sabbath, like, I'm going to take this name so it's all right and protected. Yeah. So he did the right thing, but yes, did, also, yeah. it's just his band, yeah. Slash was replaced... By former Nine Inch Nails touring guitarist Robin Flink, because of course I he does. Why. And in '97, in '97, February '97, electronic producer Moby oh, yeah. entered talks to produce. <laughs> he said they're writing with a lot of loops, and believe it or not, they're doing it better than anybody I've heard lately. Moby pulled out to focus on his solo work. 
Longtime Guns N' Roses producer Mike Klink is also reported to have been in talks to work on the album that year. It's just like a, it just sounds like a super group, but like it's, it's going mental. Yeah, this is like this is like a melting pot at this point, and everything's in there. Mad. After Verena left, Josh Freese was hired as a full-time drummer during mid '97. McKagan, who had recently become a father in August '97, according to McKagan. Guns have been paying rent on a studio for three years now, from 94 to 97, and still did not have a single song. Wow. The whole operation was so erratic that it didn't seem to fill, fit with my hopes for parenthood for stability. According to the manager, Doug Goldstein, Scott Litt, Steve Lillywhite, and Mark Bell were considered as producers. Chris Pittman joined as a second keyboardist and multi-instrumentalist in early 98. Shortly afterwards, at the recommendation of Freese, former replacements bassist Tommy Stinson yeah. joined. By spring of 98, Guns compromised of Axl Rose on vocals, Stinson on bass, Freese on drums, Fink on lead guitar, Tobias on rhythm guitar, and Reed and Pittman on keyboards. Why do you need two keyboardists? As a keyboard player myself, I mean, you don't need two keyboardists. I'm looking for a reason. I'm not trying to undermine anyone. Well, for for Guns N' Roses, why do you need two keyboards? I can understand two guitar players. But two keyboardists. What was it needed for? Get a life. Get a life, get a swift cover. Yeah. So, this has all gone crazy. And... They began recording at Rumbo Recorders, a studio in, Sa- in the San Fernando Valley where Guns N' Roses had recorded parts of Appetite for Destruction. Nice. Now, that's classic, isn't it? We made a brilliant album there. Let's go back and recap. Let's go do it again, magic. yeah. Just doesn't work. Well, Where, sometimes. Where's Slat? Oh, wait. Where's... Du- oh. Well, yeah, that's still out at this point, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, literally. Around this time, Geffen paid Rose a million to finish the album and offered a further one million if he submitted it by March the 1st, 1999. So we're on to recording. Any questions? Any comments? Any? Well, I I know that he didn't get two million because he would have got a million to finish the album. He probably finished the album, I reckon, but didn't submit it. I reckon that's what happened. But um, it's just madness at this point. Yeah, you're just it's... not a band, and it's it's almost just like you're just kind of like, well, I'm going to try and get something out. I don't know what I'm doing, and I haven't got any plan. And you're paying three, three, three years on a studio, and you haven't got a single song. It's not one song in three years. And you've got two original members, that's it, Duff and, and Axel. You've got two keyboardists. Now, that, that's a lot of creative minds to bounce things off. And you've had that studio for three years and you don't have a single song. You're, just... you're not writing songs, it's what's going on there. Yeah. What about the second beat of the 14th bar of the Middle Age? You reckon yep. that we could get a little different tone or a little synth or can I try I mean. this? Can we do rehearsal next week and it's the same thing, same thing, same thing? I think that's what was going on. I think I think it's definitely part of it. But anyway, we're on to recording, which may answer some of your questions. Let's go! So the summer of 98, Youth, who had produced U2 and The Verve, was brought in to work on demos and help Axl Rose focus. Axl Rose was not ready to record a new album. That's how he felt. Right, oh, it's too quick, felt. isn't it? It's too quick, too quick after the last one, yeah. This is uh, Youth talking, by the way. Yeah. He kind of pulled out. He was quite isolated. There weren't very many people I think he could trust. It was very difficult to penetrate the walls he'd built up. So youth left because he'd had enough. Axel Rose later told USA Today he had stopped writing for years in the mid-1990s because of criticism from Slash and McKagan and his ex-fiancee, Stephanie Seymour. Okay. Which, 
that can affect you. Of course it can. Yep. The band worked with producer Sean Bevan from autumn 98 to spring 2000. Stinson said that most of the songs on the album started and ended with what Bevan did. Bevan worked with the band when Rose recorded most of the vocal tracks that appear on the final album in 1999. Wow. So Wait, the vocals are from 1999? Yes. Most of. How weird. Very strange. Um, yeah, it makes sense. Um, Rose's vocal parts were recording recorded in less than a week. <laughs> what a slap in the face. Mental, isn't it? 13 years and you've just gone, oh, just give me a wee idea. That's mad. Bevan claimed to have worked on 35 songs during his time with the band. By the summer of 99, Guns had recorded over 30 songs and the album was tentatively titled 2000 Intentions. Now, that is the first title of this album. Okay, so it was originally called 2000 Intentions. Yes. In May 1999, Queen guitarist Brian May recorded lead guitar for the song Catcher in the Rye and other unreleased songs, but his performances were removed. Brian May was not informed and wrote on his website in 2008, I did put quite a lot of work in and was proud of it, but I can understand if Axel wants to have an album which reflects the work of the members of the band as it is right now. Now, why does that sound like a real backhanded... It really does. He's kind of a bit like, so you're going to choose those guitar players over me, is it? Um <laughs> Bohemian Rhapsody, anybody? <laughs> Does I do I want to keep going on my singles lists? <laughs> Can imagine you're doing an album and you've got Brian May and he's done guitar parts and you've got you know what? I like this other guy. So, nah, yeah, unbelievable. Well, it is what it is. This is what it was like. Rose ordered the studio engineers to continue recording ideas the band had come up with in his absence. So um, he was sent several CDs a week featuring different mixes of possible songs. Eventually, he accumulated over a thousand CDs. In 99, Rose temporarily abandoned the album so the new lineup could re-record Guns N' Roses' debut album, Appetite for Destruction. He wanted his new band to re-record Appetite with the intent of using newer recording techniques to spruce up appetite. According to Axel Rose, this forced the new members to get up to the quality they needed to be at and help the writing and recording process. Now, I got no problem with, uh, first off, a thousand CDs, absolutely mad. Crazy. And what you've just gone, like, none of that is Crazy. good. That's so extreme. Yeah. None of that is good. And again, like, if... If Axel Rose listens to that and genuinely believes that none of that is good, fair enough. Yeah, but yeah. good lord, you're already spending like that's five years in already from 1994, and just just pick something good and then move on or something like that. But like, okay, I get, you know, okay, let's let's play our debut album from back to front in rehearsal. Let's get up to speed. I get that, but the whole re-recording thing, which was yeah. like the thing that was threatened, and like Slash said when Slash was taught, was asked about this, because obviously he wasn't there at this point, yeah. he's like, I don't want to. That's a, that's a moment in time. I'm fine with that. Yeah, I'm a better guitar player now. Yeah, yeah. Just unbelievable. why? Unless it was a legal thing, like because then you can get the master, master recordings back or something like that. So during the 99 interview, Axel announced that the title Chinese Democracy. So that's the first time we've heard it. Yeah. Saying... 
there's a lot of Chinese democracy movements and it's something that there's a lot of talk about and it's something that would be nice to see. It could also just be like an ironic statement. I don't know. I just like the sound of it. So basically he's gone, oh, uh, I like those two words together. <laughs> that that whole sentence is just mumbo jumbo. It doesn't mean <laughs> anything. The new album's called Mumbo Jumbo. <laughs> Literally. And it um, used to feature Brian though. So he said the album would feature a melting pot of varied sounds. Oh, no. Including several heavy and aggressive songs. Um, in late 99, Rose played several tracks for Rolling Stone, who likened the new sound... To? To Led Zeppelin's physical graffiti remixed by Beck and Trent Reznor. Um, yeah. Yeah. That kind of hits it, doesn't it? It does. It really does. Yeah. That's really insightful. In 97 and 98, sources have described the album as different from previous records. You could not be more correct. Um, with an electronic influence, Chris Verena said that Rose wanted to create an album similar to U2 and Brian Eno's collaboration, Original Soundtracks 1, Axl Rose in 1998. And this is not chronological. I apologize. It's all over the shop. Um, it's how we roll. It's how we, do how it. we roll. So in 99... Axel Rose said the band have recorded enough material for two albums. So get one out then. Yeah, literally, including the potential for an album more industrial and electronic than Chinese democracy. Sources said the band's initial plans were to re record two albums, release Chinese democracy, tour for a year or two, then release the second album without having to return to the studio. So it sounds very much like they've gone, oh, use your illusion. One and two was a good idea. Let's do it again. <laughs> That's what it sounds like. Yeah. In 98, Guns released their first new track in five years and the first original track in eight years, the industrial metal song Oh My God, which was featured in the film End of Days. I've never seen it, couldn't tell you. The song features Rose, Tobias, Stinson, Reed, Pittman, Fink and Fries, along with guitarist Dave Navarro of Jane's Addiction. Interesting, yeah. And Gary Sunshine. Oh My God received mixed okay. reviews. So... I mean, it is kind of less than satisfying when you look at the songs they have. The song they, the song they released that's in a soundtrack to a movie, and yeah. it's just Axl Rose is the only original member, and it was kind of all right. Yeah, I mean, but, but again, he released that. So out of the thousands of mixes he got, or thousands of CDs, that one that proved that just proves that at least it was like worthy to release once. That Why one couldn't he find? Sense. You're telling me he couldn't find what twelve more songs out of nine hundred and ninety-nine. Who knows, mate? Who knows? But uh, Bevan, who produced it, said it was included on the soundtrack at the request of Jimmy Levine, the head of Geffen. Jimmy Iovine. Iovine. No, it's, I look like an L. I do apologise, Iovine. Um, so he picked it out after listening to several work in progress songs. So some he's heard that and gone, that's the one. Oh, so this is, bearing in mind, uh, so this is seven years at this point, working on this album yeah. for seven years. Yeah. And they're still in the work in progress stage. Yep. Which to me is still the writing, recording, <coughs> mixing, tweaking stage. Yeah. And it's, uh, we're now on to lineup changes. Uh, we might have to do a part 9 million for this. This is also about re recording as well. Also, I'm aware I keep hitting my mic. I don't apologize. I don't mind. I think it's quite funny. While work was being finished on Oh My God. Oh my god! Oh, Fink left to rejoin Nine Inch Nails. <laughs> <laughs> Why? <laughs> no, what's that thing? It's like, 
Mummy, I want Nine Inch Nails. We've got Nine Inch Nails at home. <laughs> and Led Zeppelin, yes. not Led Zeppelin. Oh, Guns N' Roses thing at home. I was so close with that joke. So close, but I appreciate it. January 2000, band manager Doug Gold, Goldstein said the album was 99% done. In January 2000, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> and I hate that phrase. It's 99% done. No. It's not done then, is I, it? Because that everyone uses that percentage, right? And my friend Rob will love this, and cousin, and cousin of chaos. Uh, 99% <laughs> completed. To me, it's either like it's nearly done, it's either not done, or you're like literally just got to tick the box. That's what I mean. It's one of those annoying conjectural statements. In March 2000, Axel had hired Buckethead. Buckethead. To replace Fink. According to Classic Rock, Buckethead's to say, yeah, we all know about that. We've discussed him. So, um, apparently, it made him the negative image of top-hatted, easygoing Slash. Nice, I like that. It's like, it's like the, the A and B, if, if you will. Rumours spread the Buckethead was Slash in disguise. I can see that. I can yeah. see that. Um, shortly afterwards, Josh Fries left to join a perfect circle. <laughs> and just a side note, we have fallen victim to another second camera gone oh, down. No. It was still recording, but it was on extreme battery saver. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to switch gone. it off. It's gone. I'm going to switch off the recording. <laughs> so we're two cameras down. We're still killing still it. Going. We're still, still going, going strong. Still got to go. It's fine. It's fine. Don't, don't ever know. <laughs> so... Yeah, it's all going mental. At the recommendation of Buckethead, frequent collaborator Brain was brought in as a drummer. Axel Rose hired Queen producer Roy Thomas Baker, who is fantastic. He is amazing at what he does. And he can get away with murder, apparently. Not actual murder, I'm just talking... Hypothetical murder. He was persuaded to do re-recording work on the entire album. Baker felt Freese's drums needed to be re-recorded as they sounded too industrial. Brain said they sounded uh, they sounded digital with not a lot of air moving. Rose felt that the finished album should reflect the energy on those who worked on it, and so felt Freeze's drums should be replaced. Then you've got uh, the introducing of the Geffen employee Tom Zutout, who was yeah. uh, Motley Crue's manager. <clears throat> he was also Guns N' Roses. I think he was the guy who might have helped them initially. I think in terms of, I think he might have been that A and R rep, yeah. yeah, something like that. Um, so he said Freeze's drum Freeze's drumming was spectacular. I would not have wanted to be in Bri- uh, Brain's shoes. Basically, we were saying to Brain, we have got a brilliant performance of this, and now we need you to recreate it. <sighs> so this dude had to learn all of these parts note by note. He had the parts transcribed. He played them from a teleprompter, and then he had to play it in his style. Wow. Yeah, this is mental. According to him, he recorded the parts in eight months. Eight months. The final album features a hybrid of both of them. Wow. Frank Ferrer replaced Brain in 2006, who said, I did a few tracks with Brain, and he told me just to make the songs my own. It wasn't so much conscious writing as focusing on how the music made me feel and not overthinking it. According to Ferrer, he is the only drummer on the title track the rest of the album features drums by uh, Brain and Ferrer using Freeze's arrangements. <laughs> ridiculous. That's ridiculous. At the end of the Nine Inch Nails tour in 2000, Fink rejoined. And this is 2000? Yep. We've still got nine years to go. Yep. 
Rose had previously threatened to remove his parts from the album after seeing him with Nine Inch Nails at the 1999 MTV Video Music Awards. Composers Marco Beltrami and Paul Buckmaster worked on orchestral arrangements. In 2003, Beltrami said of the experience, I met with Axel and he played me these songs, asked me about my ideas, um, asked me ask me my ideas about them. I actually wrote some melodies and stuff. The music was eclectic. And at the time I was doing it, there were no lyrics on the songs that I was working on in 2003. It's the slowest production I've ever heard in my life. It's ridiculous. You've now got Tom Zutape joining. So in 2001, Jimmy Iovine, the head of Geffen, asked Tom, Um, whose label had fired two years previously (laughs) to help Guns N' Roses complete Chinese democracy. Uh, He was the A&R man that discovered the band and guided them through the recording of the previous album. So yeah, he was the guy that originally helped them. I'm right, yet again. Uh, No thanks thanks necessary. (laughs) Resolve some personal differences. Um, Axel told Tom about the frustrations he was having in finding the sounds he wanted. Um, For example he had instructed the production team to recreate the drum sound of Nirvana's 1991 album, Nevermind, but was not satisfied with the results. With Tom's intervention, the team recreated the sound to Rose's satisfaction. Now imagine have, imagine you're an engineer or you're a producer, right? You're sat yeah, yeah. at your desk. Okay, imagine it. Yep. You're recording and uh, Axel Rose is to be going, no, I don't like that. No, I don't really like that. No, I don't really like that. Yeah. And then you have an AMR man come in and tell you what to do. So I've got years of experience. I've got years of experience. I'm yep. killing it. You know what I mean? I've, I've deleted Brian May's guitar parts, but I've got Axl Rose telling me what to do and what the A&R man's saying to me, you need to do what he's saying. So it's like doubling Basically down. Basically that kind of thing, yeah. Am I getting paid well? Um, pretty well, I think. I think, I'd, I think I'd stay for as long as I could. Yeah, Bearing I'd in mind, if, they're like, if there's years of doing nothing... I'd probably start sabotaging things quietly. Yeah, yeah. Just to be like, well, mortgage is nearly paid off. Yeah. Time for a second Lambo, I think. That's what I do. <laughs> oh, oh, no, it's brutal. I, I, would do, oh. I would do the classic thing. I'd be like, right, my mortgage is paid off. But I'm just going to go off and get some cigarettes like the old dads did in the 50s. Yeah. And they'd run away from their families just and leave them in despair. So after having Zutag Tom approved, Dom. Dom approved by Rose's personal psychic, <clears throat> okay. So yep. Whom Axel believed could assess auras from photographs. Axel arranged for Geffen to pay Zoot out whatever it takes. I'd be like, uh, 10 mil. Yeah. Please. For the first hour. Um, Tom's only concession was to defer some of his payment until the album was delivered, but the album missed the deadline. Did it? Yeah. Oh, that's weird, isn't it? Shocking. 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 Zootout said Guns had 50 to 60 songs in development during this period. <laughs> At least that's down from a thousand CDs. 50 to 60 songs from that. By this point, Buckethead had left. Following disagreements with Baker and frustrations over the lack of progress, Tom persuaded him to rejoin by installing a giant chicken coop <laughs> in the studio for him to work in that's with furniture, so straw, chicken wire, rubber chicken parts. Zootype described it as part chicken coop, part horror movie. You could almost smell the chickens. Only assistant engineers were allowed to enter to adjust microphones. 
Axel's assistant, Beta Levice, downplayed the coupe as inexpensive and fun, saying it didn't cost any money or anything. Think about it. It's just wire. It's so that you're doing three or four hours just for fun to play a joke on somebody. However, according to Tom, the coupe caused friction when Buckethead behind began using it to watch hardcore pornography, <laughs> disturbing Axel Rose. <laughs> Tom told an interviewer that after one of Rose's dogs defecated in the coupe, Buckethead insisted it not be cleaned up as he liked the smell. I have no words. How does this get any crazier? I I, I think you're going to tell me it is, but oh, like I that... It, I believe it does, mate. I've never heard anything like that before or since. So, after a million people have come and left, mm-hmm. been sacked, not been paid, whatever, the, guitar, the guitarist that you hired to replace the replacement for the original guitarist yeah. has joined, left been convinced to come back, built a chicken coop in the studio, watched hardcore porn in it, and when your dog shit in it, he wants it left there because he likes the smell. That entire, anything, anything to get the album done. That's what the A&R guy got told. That entire sentence was like a fever dream, and I was the one saying it. I want to recreate it. No, I can't. Okay. Yeah, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> you did think about it for I a little bit too it. long. Tom tried to convince Axel to release Chinese Democracy as a solo album, feeling it would sell better. However, Axel said in 2008, I didn't make a solo record. A solo record would be completely different from this and probably much more instrumental. A vocalist said that. (laughs) The songs were chosen by everyone involved. Um, In 2001, his personal assistant said that 48 songs have been completed and that Geffen had... You see what I mean? A minute ago, it was 50 to 60 songs. Now it's 48. This is what I'm saying about this. 99% complete. It's just all up and down. All Not up and down. It. And the Geffen had begun set, selecting them for the album. That was in 2001. <laughs> Tom estimated the Guns and Roses had 50 or 60 songs in development. Oh, now it's back. Okay. He went through each with Rose, trying to decide which were worth finishing. According to Tom, during his time with the band, they had completed versions of The Blues... Madagascar, Chinese Democracy, and Atlas Shrugged. Nice. Here it is. For 2001 film, Black Hawk Down, the filmmaker Ridley Scott asked to use the 1987 Guns N' Roses song Welcome to the Jungle from their debut album. According to Tom, Axel had already had new band members re-record all of Appetite as part of their induction, so a day was spent mixing one of those versions. Fair enough. Rose attended a screen in the Black Hawk Down arranged by Tom. However, when he realized it was not private, he fired Tom Zutout. <laughs> Zutout claims he was set up, a claim disputed by Rose. Zutout claimed that by this time, around 11 or 12 tracks were complete, but for final mixes, and that the album ha- could have been complete by September 2002. Man. Baker left the project a few months later. So at this point, he has 13 songs that basically need to be mixed, mastered. Yep. But he's fired the but the producer's gone, and Tom Zutal's gone. Yeah. So he has an album. Yep. He just needs to find someone to mix and master it. Yep. So we're not we're 99 there. January the first, 2001. Guns and Roses played at the House of Blues in Las Vegas. Their first concert in seven years. Mm. Followed 
by the headlining performance at Rock and Rio. That is the one with the dreads that he's got on. He's yep. running around a lot with the sparkly grey open top. Correct. Yeah. Audience of nearly 200,000 people. In 2002, they made a surprise visit to the MTV Musical Music <laughs> MTV Video Music Awards. You can see why I had an issue with that. I you? did, yeah, I did. In New York, their set included one new song, Madagascar. Guitarist Richard Fortas joined in 2002. He said, "All but his contribution, the chorus to Better, have been written by the time he joined, and that some riffs on the final album date back to Slash's time in the band." How many conflicting like reports do you want? Just oh, just just the amount of musicians that are on that album or were on that album. It'd be interesting to like hear if there was ever like a uh, a expanded re-release version of this album box set, and it'd be like Chinese Democracy 1997 version, 1998 version, oh. 1999 first half, 1999 second half. It'd be interesting to listen to. Just just for the pure fascination of like what's actually changed and how far has it gone. This is what I mean. It, it would be interesting to listen to, but also I think it would just take forever. Well, let's have a, little, a couple of questions just to break from this a little bit. Like, what do you think this is actually... How is this actually helping Guns N' Roses in terms of their album, leaving it this long? Is it building suspense or have we kind of... like? Would you as a fan, would you just be like, well, I'm just going to give up and go to another band at this point? I mean, Slash is gone. Yeah. All of the big names out of this band, apart from Axel Rose, is gone. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's going to be already an element of, it's kind of done for now, isn't it? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? But, I suppose you do have to consider the fact that there will still be people just waiting for the album to be released. But I mean, I I would have given up. You think about the amount of how music's changed. So again, Guns N' Roses were hard rock, and they really defined what '80s hard rock was going into the '90s. They took away that kind of hair metal thing and made it a bit yeah. more solid and um, had a way more authenticity and integrity to it. But again, all of the grunge and the electronic music and Smashing Pumpkins and new metal and Deftones and Britpop that all like, how are Guns N' Roses? So, like, when I listen to Chinese Democracy, it just has, no matter how many steps it takes in a new direction, which it really does for the band, and it does work in its context, it's so rooted in the past because it took so long. Because when you listen to that album, you have to go all the way back to Use Your Illusion or Appetite to go, like, well, this is what the band were like. And it just it, it just dates it. It ironically dates it. This is what I mean, and it's... um despite the fact actual work to move it into this new direction, it mm. is ironic because it does sound like that error. It does. So, in August 2002, Axel stated on the Guns N' Roses website, we feel that we have clarity as to the album we're trying to make. We're wrapping it up in 2002. We've sorted it down to what songs are on the record, what the sequence of songs is, the album art is ready. Shortly afterwards, however, he told MTV News, you'll see the album, but I don't know if soon is the word. Oh, it's just... It's so indecisive, yeah. Reed said in November 2002, the album would be released by June 2003, and that there were only a, a few odds and ends left to do. A couple of finishing touches, a couple of vocals, and we need to mix it. 
Rose also confirmed plans for multiple albums, said there was a delay. Uh, the delay was partly due to a lack of support from Geffen for older bands saying, I've had to do way more jobs in it than I'm supposed to. I've had to be manager, A&R man, producer, sole lyric writer, and a lot of other things. In mid-2003, Guns N' Roses reportedly started re-recording Chinese Democracy again. Why? A music journalist said Rose told him in June 2003 that he wants to make sure it is as perfect as possible before it is released. 2004, Stinson said Chinese Democracy was almost done and had been delayed by legal issues. And because Rose wanted to ensure every band member had a say in each song, it's a lengthy process excuse me, because you have to get eight people to basically write a song together that everyone likes. I also said Rose was a perfectionist. An engineer working on the album said Axel wanted to make the best record that had ever been made. It's an impossible task. You could go on infinitely, which is what they've done. Yep. Yep. Uh, I, I quite like that. That takes off a little bit of the, the annoyance of it in that I get these being like, right, I have a band. I have a solid band now. Um, so I want all of these songs to reflect that, really. I think that's quite nice of him to do that, and I would want to be the same way. It would feel a bit weird that you have to, like... Eight people have got to sign off on a tune. I like that, though. But the fact that he could have done... He could have released a couple of albums before that point and then gone, right, let me write a whole new record with these eight people and really put my faith in them. That's what I mean. But this is what I mean. Where's this 99% done in 2001, whatever it was? 2004, Buckethead quit. Guns N' Roses cancelled their tour, released a statement saying that Buckethead had been inconsistent and erratic in both his behaviour and his commitment. His transient lifestyle has made it near impossible to have nearly any form of communications with him whatsoever. Shortly afterwards, Axel released a statement saying that they hoped to announce a release date within the next few months. Stinson said in September that the album would be in mastering stages by November 2004. Right. <laughs> now, it's never ending. No, it just goes on and on and on. This is a long return episode. I fully expect you to edit most of what I'm saying. Hey, we'll get it nice and slick, don't you worry. Anyway, we now have, by 2004, Geffen had removed Chinese democracy from its release schedule and withdrawn funding, saying having exceeded all budgeted and approved recording costs by millions of dollars, it is Mr. Rose's obligation to fund and complete the album, not Geffen's. Around that time, a manager said the album was close to complete. According to a March 2005 New York (laughs) Times article... It's just a meme. It literally just goes on and on. Production costs for the album had reached $13 million, making it the most expensive record never made. By 2005? Yeah. Buckethead was replaced by Ron Bumblefoot Tal, and touring resumed in May 2006. Bumblefoot added guitar to the album between tour legs throughout the year. Bumblefoot wrote parts for every song, trying hundreds of ideas. Wow. Contributed fretless guitar, and he stated that working with such densely layered songs was a challenge. You go, this is a quote, you go into a higher range so you don't clash with it, and there's like, oh wait, there's a synth there. Or you go into lower and it's like, ah, kind of getting eaten up by the rhythms and the bass. So it was a challenge to find the right place. Frank Ferrer replaced Brain in July 2006 and added new drum tracks. (laughs) But new drum tracks, what of Josh Freesh's arrangements that Brain did? 
I guess so. Ugh. Rose held listening parties in several New York bars in 2006, showcasing 10 new songs. In 2006, Rolling Stone said the album had a firm release date <laughs> of November 21st, 2006. Wrong. How many times have I heard it's going to be released this date? That's what I mean. I don't believe it. According to Rolling Stone en- engineer Andy Wallace, who had worked with We Know, was working on the album la- that year. Stinson stated that most of the album had been recorded collaboratively in 2001 and had been pretty much done since then. What's going on? Um, it's like it's like they're all stood behind doors yeah. with holes in, looking at a painting. They're all seeing different bits, <laughs> but they can't see the full picture. Like right. catchphrase. Yeah, l- legit. Yeah. Legit. On December 14th, the Guns N' Roses website, Axel announced the cancellation of four shows, citing the need for more time to work on Chinese democracy. He also announced that the band had ended their relationship with uh, the manager, announced the tentative release of March 6, 2007. Still wrong. <laughs> it was the first time the band had publicly given a release date. Okay. That was the first time. In an interview held during the launch party for Korn's 2006 tour, Axel told Rolling Stone that Chinese Democracy was a complex record with Queen-like arrangements and that he expected some fans to complain about the new direction. Now we're on the final Mm. sessions. The final sessions? Bloody hell. Axel Rose recorded the final vocal tracks in January 2007. Good lad. Took his time. February the 22nd, 2007. The band's road manager, Del James, issued a press release stating there was no official release date after releasing a release date. <laughs> but the recording had ended and mixing had begun. In a 2007 interview, Sebastian Bach said Axel had planned to have the album released by Christmas 2007. Good lad. And that the delays might have been caused by business problems. In 2007, Bach recorded backup vocals for Sorry. Uh, he described the song as almost like doom metal with Axel singing really clean over this grinding slow beat. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Harpist Patty Hood, Patty Hood, who had worked with Pittman on the album Free Mars, and conductor Susie Katayama also recorded parts. In 2008, rumours arose that Chinese Democracy had been handed to Geffen, but was delayed because the label and Rose could not agree with the marketing. There was a radio host that said Geffen might have had the album, might have the album, and that delays were due to financial reasons. However, in February 2008, interview with Classic Rock, Axel's personal manager dismissed those suggestions. So they were in negotiations with the label with a wealth of material to select from. (laughs) Axel was solely responsible for track selection and sequencing of the album. According to Bumblefoot, the band and producer. Karim uh, Costanzo, who joined in 2003, <laughs> spent 14 hours a day working on this album. Oh, this is an interesting and funny fact. Go on. In. On March 26, 2008, media reported that soft drinks manufacturer Dr. Pepper would offer a free can of its product to everyone in America, excluding former Guns N' Roses guitarist Buckethead and Slash, if the band released Chinese Democracy in 2008. I remember that. On the Guns N' Roses website, Axel wrote of his surprise at the company's support and said he would share his Dr. Pepper with Buckethead. (laughs) After it was announced the album would be released in 2008, 
Dr. Pepper confirmed they would uphold his pledge. However, on the album's release, the Dr. Pepper's Dr. Pepper website servers crashed under the demand for coupons. <laughs> Lawyers for the band threatened Dr. Pepper's parent company with a lawsuit two days after the album's release. In a letter to the company, Axel's lawyer said, the redemption scheme for your company clumsily implemented for this offer was an unmitigated disaster which defrauded consumers and in the eyes of vocal fans ruined Chinese democracy's release. <laughs> So he's just released it, and now he's moaning about the release. Yeah. And he just got to... Oh, just... According to Bumblefoot, one song, Atlas Shrugged, was cut at the last second because of the CD playing time constraints. Yeah. Oh, there's so many. <laughs> by those uh, songs mentioned by those in the recording that did not make the final album include Atlas Shrugged, Oklahoma Time, The General, Elvis Presley and The Monster of Soul, Ides of March, Silkworms, Down by the Ocean, Zodiac, Quick Song, and We Were Lying. That's another whole album. That is. Release it. Just release it. Yeah. Uh, so we've got style and composition, which I don't need to talk about. You know what I want to talk about? Go on. What do you think of the album? I really like it. And why do you like it? Let's talk about some of the tracks or it's, the sounds of it. It's almost like nothing I've ever listened to. I'd agree with you on that. It's it's so very um, far removed from a lot of things that it's just, I don't know, It's just it sounds fresh. I'm really, really up for the sound of it. Yeah. Um, classically, it's hated. It is classically hated, which is why we're talking about it, you see? Yeah. But I don't. I honestly don't see see why. And I mean, I know, you know, the time it took to get out is phenomenal, unbelievable. This is why it is never ever going to live up to the hype. No, of course, it's which not. he got told many times. Yes. So that's a reason why it's hated. Yeah. I think it's the Axl Rose show. That's yep. another reason why it's hated. Mm-hmm. And because it doesn't sound like them. The overall sound of it does impress me. I am. I am. I'm engaging with it, you know? It's, yeah. It sounds like it's alive. It's not as people describe it to me, which is lifeless and boring. And It's not lifeless and boring at all. I'd, no. I'd never say that. No. It sounds like it's quite grandiose in the fact that, like, it's like multi-millionaires oh, yeah. and that it feels unattainable in a sense that, like, you can't just go, should we go in a rehearsal room and just play IRS? Oh, oh yeah, it's very, very much you like You can't do that. No. And also what I get from, it's like from some of my list, Scra- uh, scraped, I keep calling it scrapped. Scraped sums up what this album is trying to do. It's trying to put every single vocal inflection and melody and chord progression, and we'll do a crazy modulation, and this guitar, and then this synth, and then these things, and all yep. these moods, trying to do everything that everyone's ability can do in one song. Yep. And then it makes me forget what the song is. Yep. Because all you're doing is you're just doing this as a showcase. So like, mm-hmm. look what I can do. Look how good it is. Look how good it is. You can't say it's bad nope. because look at all these good techniques that I'm doing in it. And this has got a guitar squeal and all these things and all that thing. But then where's the song? Yeah. I mean, this is this is kind of the point, isn't it? And It is the point, James. It, it is. Yeah. Just, it just... I, I can't remember much of it. It all feels like the same thing. I mean, yeah, there are, there are songs I do remember. The one thing that Whenever I hear Chinese Democracy, I do think of the the first song. I do think of um, yeah the title track. Yeah. And I can all I can hear is that. Which, when I heard it, I was like, well, it it sounds so stock and so generic of a, of a power chord thing. That's the first thing you're gonna hear on the album. Mm-hmm. It just didn't hit me in the goods. 
No, that first song I find quite weak. Yeah. To be honest. It gets better, in my opinion. Second track is really, really good. I really like Better as well, mm-hmm. which was the third track. Um, that's the one that starts with like a high, Axel singing high. Yeah. yeah. Like a lo-fi soundy type thing. That kicks in. I think I think that's a really cool tune in a lot of ways. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I do not think this album's bad. I refuse no, to agree with that. I, I'm not putting it on, and my ears are bleeding. It is. Uh, it is a good album in the sense yeah. that um, it does have some good songs, and it still is. It still is Guns and Roses at heart, and it's you know how ambitious to try something that like new direction. Like, doesn't yeah. place it safe in some places, but like generally as a whole, it's so experimental and this takes a huge I mean. risk. Um, I will mention there's one guitar part. I was listening to it. It's like, it sounded like it was like a pre-chorus thing going into a chorus, hmm. and it's literally just uh, sweep arpeggios. And I'm thinking like that's not a guitar part. I think that's even better. It's just not a guitar part yeah. to me. Like I, again, I mean it is a guitar part. Used to me to say that, that exactly it has to be this, but it just didn't. Yeah, in myth my mind, yeah. they're like, how did that get through? It's so just so many notes all at once over a vocal. Mm-hmm. Couldn't believe it. Yeah, it's, it, that is stuff like that is dotted all over the it's album. It's kind of ever, isn't it? Tracy Guns. Yep, who was the guy in LA Guns? That's right, and he was also the found a founding Guns and Roses guitarist. Yep. He said he thought it was overindulgent, sterile, and not that exciting. Which. It's very indulgent. I I agree with that, really, to a point of like, it is so overindulgent. Hugely, it's so overindulgent. Only, like Huge. only, but again, only Guns and Roses at that point could make that album. Yes. As 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 like Matt of oh, it gets dark, whatever. It gets light in the day. The sun shines bright. One of those statements. I I'll rephrase so. it as like Axl Rose is the only person to make that kind no, of, of album. Absolutely, and that's yeah. I think that's what I enjoy about it. Yeah someone's given Axel a studio and millions of dollars and gone do what you want yep he's gone alright I will alright I will mate thanks mate anyway yeah that's my uh, final statements on this album thank Christ it is done you got through it oh mate I there, there were loads of things I didn't talk I about I know I know oh what uh so what do you think the album would have sounded like if it was released in 1999 five years afterwards what do you think the res- and what do you think the reception would have been like i think it would have been hated yeah and i think it would have sounded quite similar but not as um not as clean mm-hmm. the album does sound very clean very clean very polished but i would say it wouldn't sound as clean Maybe there would be some differences in some of the song songwriting parts. I don't know. But yeah, that's generally what I think. It would sound not as clean. There'd be some differences in the songs. And I think it would not have been received very well. I think the fact that it took as long as it did, mm-hmm. it almost became a bit of a running joke. It very much did. So no one, point, It's like Boy Cried Wolf. No one was going to believe him. Yeah. I'm going to release it in 2004. It's like, sure, Jan. This is, this is kind of the point, isn't it? So... When it get when it gets to that point, it's just like ah well, you get it released one day. So do you think then? Because again, this is where we defend albums. This is what we do. So, do you actually think that waiting and waiting and waiting and releasing it, the release date that actually was what it was, November two thousand and eight, 
do you think that was actually a positive and a good thing that that's what should have happened? Yes. Yes, I do. Because do you think they actually didn't affect, like you said, with 1999 where you think it would have been hated, Mm. it actually did the album a better favour by being removed from the time that it was conceived in and then people were more favourable towards it because it took so long? I think so. I think there's definitely a a way you could look at it in that light. Yeah. Because, like I said, it becomes a running joke and it becomes a bit of a... uh, He'll do it soon. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, at that point, I think you kind of... I mean, if I was sat waiting for it as a Guns N' Roses fan in 1999, and it finally got to a point where it was just like, uh, you'd just be happy to wear anything, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah, literally. So, just give me something. Even yeah. Welcome to the Jungle remixed. Oh, man. Christ alive, James. I loved I loved hearing every minute of that. That oh was great. God. Just sitting back. I'm, I'm glad we got through it, though. That is. So, you know what's... This This is now going to feel like a breeze. So, I've got the person <laughs> who's who uh, is, has the longest gap between albums. So, you think 13 years is a long time. Yeah, Try 57 years. Again, that's 57 years between albums. Man. But... Not as frustrating as the thing you've just explained now. That was so infuriating to hear all oh, of man. what was going on. This is a guy called Dean Gitter. So he released an album called Ghost Ballads in 1957. And then he released an album called Old Folkies Never Die in 2014. 57 years, James. How many songs have you heard off that uh, most recent album, Mark? I've heard three. And there's a reason why. Because I can only find three. This new album that he put out, I cannot... It's no streaming platforms no nothing can you buy it anywhere i don't know it's maybe an ebay purchase perhaps but what's weird is that ghost ballads one when you listen to the spotify version it's like someone's put a vinyl on and then just put a microphone next to it yeah does add to the does aid in the quality of it so obviously i think for obvious reasons i've never heard this guy before how so, the hell? How the hell do you keep that notoriety up with just a normal general it, album it, of ballads? It sounds like a fake name as well, Dean Dean Gitter, G I T T E R. Bit strange, Very isn't strange. it? Um, the first question I would have is why? Yeah. Why would you such an immense gap between your work? But he has an interesting kind of story. So like he grew up and he had a really strong interest in folk music when he was a child. Um, it led him to like produce artists on Riverside Records when he was older. Cool. Um, he even wrote and arranged a lot of songs. So he wasn't just kind of like, oh, I'm just going to do one little album and just not do anything. He was quite active in terms mm. of the folk uh, industry and that. His most notable credit was producing Odetta's first album, Odetta Sings Ballads and Blues, in November 1956. He then released his first album called Ghost Ballads. So um, what's weird is on his wiki bio, it says released in 58. Another website's 59. But then if you go on the Wikipedia page, the longest gap between albums is 57. Spotify claims 1957. 1957. I mean, I'll take that. I'll take that. Um, he loved folk music, like he said. Um, his mother was an accomplished pianist. He learned piano at five, and she learned, no, he learned piano at five. Remember his dad bringing home early, like, 78s. Um, the big hit the, that the Weavers had with Goodnight Irene. I remember that one. It was about, about <laughs> 10 when that came out. Um, started playing along in plastic ukulele. He moved on to a four-string tenor guitar. When he was a senior in high school, his father bought him a top-of-the-line Martin, which was the greatest gift he ever gave me. All right? The greatest gift that my dad ever gave me was probably not having bad breath. 
the greatest gift my dad probably gave me is um, absence. Okay, what about, what about that box of tea that he gave you? Remember that? So... No. <laughs> By autumn 57, he was headed to England to study at London, which is, makes sense why he sounds very British on yeah. these recordings. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I just think he supported himself in London. He was doing concerts, making eight or nine pounds a gig. Right. It's pretty good really for that time. Yeah. Just enough to pay for his flat. Um, so, yeah. He just remembers putting, he remembers a fateful concert put on by George Ween, who ran a fabled club called Storyville at the time, alongside the Newport Jazz Festival. He, Dean says, I was asked how soon I could get to Cape Cod. It'd take about three hours. This is obviously, he said it was his last public gig in decades. I got to the venue, which had about 2,000, and was told to fulfill in for the Kingston Trio, who had broken up that morning. By the time I went on stage, there were only 300 people left in the house, and he emptied the hall. So I think he did that album. It's kind of a nothing thing. He got asked to fill in. He was like, you know what? I'm not going to do public gigs anymore. Um, he opened up a cinema. He went on to own a theater. He owned a huge complex called Catskill Corners that had a restaurant, a uh, lodge, a conference center, and still to this day, the world's largest kaleidoscope. Right. He was the owner of uh, Crossroads Ventures LLC. He ran a regional TV station. He started a spring water company. I'm there for that. Right. Island Spring, if anyone's listening. So right. this, this guy is basically doing everything. He taught meditation. Taught meditation. It was like he almost kind of, like music was just like a little thing in his life. Yeah. That he just did. And he was like, I just want to kind of do loads and loads of different things. He's like the friend that you know that is amazing at everything. Yeah. But like never really pursues it properly. Jack of all trades, master and man. Or any other people's names. Jackie of all trades. Yeah, that's I mean, insane. Why does it just got to be Jack? It kind of puts it into perspective how he just, that's how he viewed his music. He's like, I've just done an album. I that's just, mad. I played a gig and everyone left. I'll just do something so else. I'm, I'm, I'm all good. I'm done now, yeah. I'm all good, yeah. Um, so like, let's really look at like the album then. Mm, We're looking at folk music here. Let's do this now. Um, it's just a man singing with an acoustic guitar. Uh, it's pretty much all the songs are kind of in the same thing. They don't really deviate. Um, so as is like Guns N' Roses, how it does have a lot of deviation variation. It's still hard rock, isn't it? Yes. It doesn't really have like, now we're going to do acid jazz into this. It's not that varied. So this is very, just one, one note. Um, like I said, very English sounding voice. The main thing that struck me was the quality of the album on Spotify, which was weird, but I actually think it adds to the mystique and the ambience of the album. So. We got a song that originates from the 1400s called the uh, unquiet grave. I was about 12 when that came out. It has a standard but satisfying chord progression, fitting the melody perfectly, and it's folk done well. Skin and Bones fits the Halloween theme of this album because it's kind of like a Halloween-y themed album. It kind of is, yeah. Uh, the fingerpick guitar sets you up in this haunted mansion feel, and then what Gitter does is he lulls you into a false sense of security. So you might remember this, till he screams. Yeah. And apparently he broke a microphone doing this, and it did shit me up, to be fair. Yeah, it made me jump. It was very, very weird, but fair enough. That was a standout for me. Anne Boleyn takes you into traditional folk music territory. Uh, it's got a haunting guitar riff, chromatic vocal melody. Very, very cool. Um, and Anne Boleyn gave me an epiphany moment. It really makes you realize how far back the Western style of music goes. Yes. So even though the songs were recorded in the 50s, the lyrics, melodies, and chords, although dated, don't seem that dated. Nope. Like with, with Chinese democracy, you're like, it still sounds new. It sounds very fresh and modern, up to date. Whereas I listened to, listened to this and I was like, you know what? Like, even people like Frank Turner, Will Varley, like mid 2000s British folk heart on sleeve singer songwriters really does not sound out of touch. You could perform that, yeah, you could. it would still sound good. Um, there's a Frank Turner album called No Man's Land. 
It's like English folk by a modern artist. It's got like, it's all about women in history. So he has a song called Sister Rosetta. Very, very similar and like that sound. And I think that might be the number one album. Well, he's definitely a number one recording artist, we'll say. Um, Trowbridge, where I'm from, has a big folk scene, the Village Pump. Like, So for live music, you had the choice between folk, emo and pop punk at the Swan and then hip hop at the King's Arms. So that's all we really had. Um, but it's nice to see folk from that degree and all the kind of legislator, not legislator, all the uh, community around that. I'm rambling, but I love it. Um, it's not even about the songs on this album. They're fine. They do the job. It goes through. It's about half an hour long. It's pleasant, isn't it? It's pleasant. It's listenable. Absolutely. It's not even about how well this album did. I mean, it probably did all right. Just kind of general. It's not even about the message that he's trying to get across. Crush, much like when a band has a song that is bigger than them, 57 years between his two albums are bigger than the albums themselves. Yeah. No matter how good an album is, leaving it to be the last piece of work and to be able to survive against all of the next generation of artists, the new genres of music um, that get innovated, and then the artists that your album influences and subsequently improves on your work. Guns N' Roses have obviously have, have had that done to them. It's too much for your album to handle. I don't think that was his intention or his goal. Like we said, he music was just a little part of his life, mm-hmm. which he did. And then he just kind of stopped and then did other things. Um, yeah. It's kind of what, like let it be in the world. Cause it's not all about like, you got to make the na- next smash hit record. So let me go with Johnny's democracy. Axl Rose wants to make the best album. Do you know what I mean? There's like all this pressure. He's just there. Like I just made an album. That's pretty cool. Like that in itself is an accomplishment. Clicking like submit. That's a big accomplishment. It comes out and you feel really good. Like you're gonna have that with your EP soon. It's like this feels good, but you haven't so, you haven't gone like I started writing riffs this when I was 11 years old. You know what I'm saying? Um, James is having a bit of a he's having a walk around. Watch that. Watch that keyboard stand. But I'll still keep going for you lot. You know the fans. The fans. So yeah, I don't think it's all about you know music is fun to make. You know, um, the amount of stress and worry that it takes off an artist's shoulders um, just to kind of have fun with it. Uh, it's something to enjoy in life. It's a part of your life, not your entire existence on this planet. And that whatever notes, chords, fancy production tricks and social media posts and stuff don't make who you are. So that's another thing. Like Axl Rose was so consumed by his album and it didn't come out. And then everyone's just there. Like, I basically hate you because you spent all this money. Whereas you just did get, just gone like, this is cool. I like it. I'll scream. I'll break a microphone. Um, that's pretty much always to say on that kind of album. But again, he, he decided to make one more album. So he's done all these other ventures. He found a kaleidoscope. He was like, that's banging. I'll do that. I'll make a cinema, I'll do whatever. Sparkling water, I'll get on that hype. It just, it, yeah, it just seems like he's gone, uh, I've tried music, not for me. And yeah. he's just gone off and done everything he can. <laughs> Literally, what yeah. legend. Uh, he made one more album before retiring a few years after that and moving to Mexico. He did unfortunately pass, I think, in 2018. Oh. So he made this album called Old Folkies Never Die. Now, 2014, that was released. So hard to find anything about this album. Really, really hard. Um, The three tracks, they're on steel string guitars, which is different to his nylon strings, and they're pretty much exactly the same. It's weird because you can tell he's an old man. I think he was 84 when he died, but he sounds almost exactly the same. So like that weird thing of he left that 57 years, but the, the, um, the way those two albums have that tie-in, that they sound the same, is cool. Yeah. Guns N' Roses doesn't have that. No. You know? Yeah. Um, so, like, the way, the one thing I would say, like, okay, this is bad, is because 
I don't understand why you'd want to do that and then wait all that time because no one knows who you are. You're just, it's almost self-sabotage. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Waiting that long? I'd say so. <laughs> but then again, he probably just got bored of the music industry and you don't want to necessarily play that game. So like, he's not like he's leading anybody on. He's just no. kind of made an album. I'll go chill, do whatever. I mean, it's, it's, it's quite interesting to see that um, when you go on his Spotify, you obviously, when you go on Spotify, you get monthly listeners and he's, he's got like 107. Yeah. So people know this man exists. Not a lot. He still gets plays. Yeah. He still gets plays. And that's kind of interesting to think. Yeah. Yeah, it's very strange. So he did this interview because he was doing a, he was taking the stage hmm. for his uh, first comeback show and a live, actually, I mean a public show. I was going to go all around the houses then. <laughs> um, so it says, again, the first thing is we're on the outer edge of an era when everyone in the Catskills has known of Dean Gear, but not as the folk singer making a return to the stage at 3 p.m. at the Emerson Resort and Spa, all right? Premiering his first album in 57 years, Old Folkies Never Die bloody love it it's his first area concert ever um he's got seven grandchildren at this point six of whom are within four miles of my house um and he started playing music on stage again about six months before that um and he said the shift was he bought a 1920 gala galliano guitar it was my first steel string guitar can you imagine that imagine being like your first les paul at like 79 years old and that really um Kickstarter. He went to this like Woody Guthrie celebration thing, nice. and he's seen all these people hadn't seen in a decade. He did some math, and he was like, "This guy, Jack Elliott, he was like, he's eighty three. He's like, why can't I do that as well?" Um, so I thought that was pretty cool. This um, is almost so. It's very contrasting because the story you've got mm-hmm. is actually quite, quite um, it's like heartwarming, right? Yeah, it's very, very sort of like um, nice, and this chap just sort of. Went and went to a gig and he felt as inspired as he did 57 years previously. And went, Very cool. I'm going to do it again. And he didn't waste any time. As much as he wasted time with not releasing yeah, something. This is kind of the thing, isn't it? But, he's not wasting time. No, I respect that. He's, he sounds like he was probably a really cool dude. Yeah, to be exactly. Uh, I played where folk music has become limited to. Uh, he said, when I found out the other people on stage were playing James Taylor, were playing James Taylor, Jenny Mitchell, and Bob Dylan, all great musicians, mind you. I realized a lot of people hadn't heard real folk music, so I tailored my shows accordingly. So he was there. That's why his album sounds so old. Mm. And again, he's doing music from the 1400s. So I guess even though it does have a popularity, it's not going to be the popular music, is it? No. You know what I mean? Even more stuff. He earned his MBA. He joined another theater group alongside the likes of Stockard, Channing, and Tommy Lee Jones. Started the Awesome Well Cinema. Um, moved to Boston, moved to Catskills, managed an ashram in Big Indian. Um, the folk music became a personal thing, basically the equivalent of singing in the shower. So like he's reminiscing and being like, that was kind of cool. I've moved on now. Um, just, oh, just so much stuff that he did. Um, oh, they said as well, because he's doing this concert return. He was like, oh, for which will be, you know, if you, if you looked, if you found all of your old buddies, like they're gonna come. He's like, they're all dead. <laughs> Bear in mind, he's eighty. Like, do you know what I mean? Of course, they're gonna be all dead. Yeah, Isn't that weird to think? Yeah. Um, he did add. He said a bit quietly. He sometimes feels like now he's wasted fifty years of his life not playing the folk music he feels so enriched by. He wonders whether he's returned to who he really is. So that's interesting. Like, yeah. it's like he has a really big respect for music, and that he really was just like, I love the music that I heard as a kid. I want to honor that. 
That's really noble of him, isn't it? And he hasn't wasted so. it. And again, he hasn't wasted anybody's time. No, he hasn't. And I mean, the only the only thing I the only issue if he was here right now and he was like, oh, I've wasted this long. Mm. I wouldn't say he's wasted any time at all. It sounds like he was off living his life. Like, it really was. And I think he had so, that nice retribution before he passed away. Like he managed to do it. Yeah. Um. So yeah, his, his this is what I like as well. His concert. So it's a sixty pound per person benefit for the Bel Air Music Festival. Um, which kicks off on Memorial Day weekend. Let's have a look. So, Old Focus Never Die. Before, this is the little thing at the bottom. A performance and record release event with Dean Gitter takes place 3 p.m. to 6 p.m. Sunday, April 27th. Tickets are $60, including wine and hors d'oeuvres and benefit the Bel Air Music Festival. Special guests expected. I just like that. It's kind of like they're all sat around having little, their little olives and stuff. He just comes on stage and people are like, bloody hell, that's... As Dean, he, he, uh, he was looking at Kaleidoscope the other day. Now look, at he, he can play guitar. He's pretty good and he'll get somewhere. My one's not even really about the songs because the album is pretty good itself and the yeah. three tracks I've heard, pretty darn good. But It's just the, the length of time. Isn't 57 it? years and like he did express a little bit of regret. But like you said, he just got on with his life. Whereas with Axl Roses, it consumed his life. Dean Gitters, it didn't consume his life. He might have had some regrets, but he kind of had that full circle moment. And again, the praise that he got from that album, because no one says it's bad. Everyone's like, yeah, there's just a good set of folk albums. Like, okay, the recording quality is not very good, but it is what it is. Versus Axl Rose, who like was worried about the critical reception. Yeah. Um, and the amount of, and I know we're talking about different, you know, literally, like we said, Axl Rose is in this like A++++++. You've sold so much. You're so famous. Dean Gitter just did an album and no one really knew about it. He could fade away into anonymity. But if it was flipped around, do you think, so if it was flipped around, do you think Dean Gitter would have released an album quicker if his first album blew up like that? Yeah. And do you think he would have disappointed people? And do you think Axl Rose would have waited 57 years if he just released Appetite and no one really cared about it. It's kind of like a mediocre thing. Actually, no, I'll rephrase that. Do you think he would have released albums quicker because he hadn't reached his peak yet? It was flipped around. Um, <clears throat> I, I don't know, to be honest, is the, is the most honest answer I can give you to that question. Nice. Um, I don't think Dean Gitter would have waited 57 years. I think he would have cracked on and done more. Um, Axel Rose is Axel Rose with all of his... Uh, all of the issues he has and all of the preconceived notions that people have about him is because he had a really, really harsh childhood. He did. He did. Really horrible. Um, so, you know, I'm, I, I'm not making excuses for the man. I don't need to. But there is a level of understanding there as to why he, he acts and behaves and does the things that he does. But Dean Gitter, he just sounds like an upstanding chap. He does. Release some music. Didn't really go very far. I don't know. Maybe it knocked his confidence a bit, but he didn't want to say that. Yeah. Or maybe he just went, well, I've done this for a bit. I'm going to do something else now. And he, he did do something else for 57 years and mm -hmm. obviously fell back in love with it, which is obviously a classic thing that people do. So I think he did the best thing he could have done. He made an album, went, eh, it was all right. Disappeared off for 57 years. Yeah. Fell back in love with it. Managed to release another album. And he was probably quite satisfied by the time he died. But yes, in short, to answer, I think Axel Rose takes as long as Axel Rose takes. But I think Dean Gitter being in the position of Axel Rose and having the resources that he had, yeah, I would say he he probably would have just he would have been way quicker. I don't see him taking fifty-seven years. It, it felt like he's a man that's motivated by success, yeah, and he's motivated by you know 
sort of self-affirmation and to get that self-affirmation he has to do things so i can't see i can't see him waiting that long if the roles were reversed also if we were to apply the same logic so if uh axel rose waited 57 years to release chinese democracy do you know what year that would come out 2051 they're talking about 1994 so it wouldn't be out now no they wouldn't be touring now no well they might be i don't know so bearing in mind that's 29 years away axel will probably be in his 70s mm-hmm. he'll be almost the same age as dean gitter and he finally goes here's here's this i recorded the vote i recorded the vocals in 1999 don't you know do i sound like i'm on all time radio so also how old would you be that's 29 years away you will be my friend 57 and I will be my actual age of 62. Good grief. And we've gone, have you heard a new Guns N' Roses song? Yeah, we're both, we're both there like, oh, have you heard it? It's really good. Imagine. That's mad, isn't it? I wonder it? what it would sound like. It would sound exactly the same, I think. Yeah. <laughs> it probably would. It probably would. It probably would, yeah. Very, very mad. I but... just, I, it reminds me of that video where it's like, uh, yeah, nobody wants to hear me sing. Oh my, I love him when I'm in my forties, and they're in the next clips, just him in his seventies, like close your eyes. Da, da, da. Yeah, but that's another thing, isn't it? Missing the boat. Missing the boat. Do you know what I mean, missing that boat. Fifty-seven years, you missed that boat. I would even argue Axl Rose missing that boat. I'd say so. That's a long. I mean, a long. Fifty-seven's time. ridiculous, but thirteen years, fourteen, however long. Fifteen. Sorry. So long. Fifteen years. I don't know any uh, how long we can keep going on for. Uh, I'm, I'm. You're spent. <laughs> he's spent. He's done. Well, no, not so much that. <laughs> it's just I don't, I don't really know what else we can say other than don't take fifteen to fifty-seven years to release your work. We want to hear it. Yeah, don't do thirteen to fifty-seven years. That's absolutely mad. That's you know, maybe just do take a couple of years. Like if you really got a proper good serious album, do a couple of years for sure. You know for what sure. I mean? I'm trying to do a project a year. You know what I mean? And that's tough. That's tough. I can't even do a podcast every bloody week. That's hard enough. <laughs> um, but hey, and we've managed to survive. Two cameras still left and the Zoom's still going. So the audio's yeah. still going. The phone was dead. The iPad was dead. So, you know, fancy I'm production. Dead inside. Yeah. And, and? And? Mouse. Mouse and? Mouse. Bloody two mouses. Mouse. I can't believe it. Go on. Oh, no, that's it. <laughs> you sound so defeated. Oh, that's really it. Well, you know what? We're glad to be back. Yeah. That was a great little one. That was nice to get our little feet in the door. Do you know what I mean? We just yeah. kind of we're settling in. Absolutely. Absolutely. Always, as always, we want to hear your thoughts. We want to hear your opinions. Is there an album that took too long for you? Um, yeah. Is there, an, is, is there a, a, an obvious option that we have not touched upon? Let us know your thoughts and comments. Buy all the merch. We hope you've enjoyed coming back to it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Find us on the old Instagrams. Find us on the Facebooks. All the social media e-commerce platform sites, all right? You know what they are. We might even have a TikTok soon. You know what I mean? Ooh. I'll toast the sparkling water to yeah, this episode. Yeah, well... You know, I'm going to go to Merit's one. There we go. Toast the sparkling water. There we go. Ooh, let's have that for and you all have a very good day and night and evening and let's go and let, hopefully we won't wait 57 years to do the next one that'll be very good absolutely rocking alright well I've been Mez and you've been Mez <laughs>